Welcome to another edition of Reshaping America. This is your host, Kurt Flewelling. And before we get started, I think some scripture that will calm us all down is probably in order. Uh, Let us start with one of our favorites here at Reshaping America, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How about this one? Proverbs fifteen twenty nine. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous. And lastly, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. We need those, ladies and gentlemen. Excuse me. Um, There is chaos in the streets again here in Philadelphia. Um, A uh, man wielding a knife approached police. Police asked him to put the knife down. He refused and he was shot. And as you know, um, making national news again, as Philadelphia always seems to do, when all eyes are on uh, Philadelphia, they they never cease to amaze me how they, um, I don't know what you want to term it, but um, anyway, uh, this gentleman had a very long history of uh, run-ins with the police and rap sheet, very long, and he was asked to do something. He did not do it, and the police did what police do. They... Um, protect themselves and other citizens and the result was death of this young man unfortunate um, but it did lead to what we have seen in this country several times particularly in the last eight months of um, people destroying property people injuring people 30 police officers were hurt one of which sustained a broken leg Um, I would not want to be a cop these days, and I don't know how our fine men and women that protect us from the bad guys do this. I just do not understand how they do it. Uh, Talk about getting it coming and going. They're not paid enough. They're being shot at every single day, sometimes struck, sometimes killed, vilified by the very people that they are protecting, and um, also not supported all that well from the hierarchy um, in the city of Philadelphia, uh, particularly Larry Krasner, who is much more pro-criminal than he is pro-police officer. And uh, that is a problem. And that was George Soros's master plan when he funded um, district attorneys all throughout the country, particularly in the largest um, cities in America. And um, this is to uh, continue to create chaos and tumult in our great land. So um, those verses that we read earlier are something that you really have to take to heart. If you need to take a break from the news, um, either the radio 
or the television, uh, I would certainly encourage you to do that. Um, these are times where prayer is the only thing that's going to save us. We, um, and you know, if you don't feel that you're called to do something important, uh, there's really no small job out there. We've discussed this on reshaping America several times, whatever the Lord calls you to do. If it's as, um, small as talking to a neighbor who you think may be on the fence and they don't know who to vote for. Um, they have no idea about big tech and any types of free speech oppression. Um, it is absolutely stunning. The people that I talk to and other friends of mine talk to that are, um, uh, you know, reasonably intelligent people that when you talk to them about what's going on with big tech or Hunter Biden's computer, they have absolutely no idea what you're talking about. And these are not dimwitted, uninformed people. And these are people that I think should take the time to acquaint themselves with the issues of the day a little bit. Um, as we've said on this show before, uh, born again, Christians, uh, you may think that they're engaged and they know the truth from falsehoods, but um, as uh, as my research has indicated years ago when I wrote the book Reshaping America, there is a very healthy percentage of born again. But I, I think it's quite large. Um, that's a sin. And um, there's no job out there that's too great or too small to further the kingdom, A, and B, try to improve the culture, uh, try to preserve this thing we call America. Uh, the great Edmund Burke uh, said it best, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. That's um, obviously a truncated version of, of his thoughts, but uh it does ring very much true. Um, he's going to do anything, and we're all going to stand around with our hands in our pockets while Rome uh, figuratively is burning here, um, or for that matter, Philadelphia or Seattle or Portland burning, because they literally are burning. Um, then we are going to get rolled by people that um, not only do not know God, but they are hostile toward God. And when it comes to what I said before, you know, you, you talk to people and talk about uh, Twitter or Facebook or YouTube or um, you know, any number of these, uh, Google, any number of these entities that are clearly suppressing free speech um, um, to the detriment of conservatives. Um, it is pretty chilling and, and concerning to know that reasonable people don't even know what the heck you're talking about. Um, we go to this story. Twitter CEO Dorsey discussed this last week. Jack Dorsey pressed by Senator Cruz on restricting Hunter Biden stories. Um, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas, it says, ripped into Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey during hearing with tech titans on Wednesday, accusing him and his social media platform of improperly censoring reporting that reflected poorly on Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden, asking at one point 
who the hell elected you. Uh, This exchange comes as Republicans over the last several weeks have decried Twitter's actions to lock the New York Post Twitter account and censor links to the outlet stories uh, on Biden's son, Hunter, and his overseas business dealings. Uh, Dorsey's response, um, Dorsey said that this was due to a policy regarding hacked materials because the stories were based on emails from Hunter Biden's purported laptop. Uh, Cruz noted that a New York Times article about President Trump's tax returns did not face the same treatment, even though the materials appeared to be leaked illegally. Um, And then the article goes on to the back and forth between Ted Cruz and Mr. Dorsey. Um, To the issue of hacked materials, Hunter Biden signed something in the computer repair shop that says if you do not come back in 45 days, this computer and everything on it is my property. And he willingly signed that. So these aren't uh, hacked materials. There were no breaches of security that Hunter Biden is um, claiming. So these certainly aren't hacked materials. And, you know, that is the big pink elephant in the room on this whole Hunter Biden story. Like nobody is really grasping the obvious here. Like why in the world is, um, is Joe Biden and Hunter Biden in their, their camp, not denying that this was his laptop or his email or his emails. And the reason is they don't really have to get embroiled in this because they have willing accomplices in the media that are, you know, beating the, the, um, this is Russian interference excuse, um, which, you know, to you and I, and, and maybe many in our audience seems quite ridiculous. But again, to my dismay, you would be stunned at the level of, um, of intellect that is out there uh, among reasonable people that thinks everything is a Russian plot. And um, it's very, very difficult. And in these trying times when we feel that if Joe Biden gets elected, the the country is, is gone, we have to, you know, we have to calm ourselves to the point where God is in control and we still have a constitution. Now, whether that constitution is respected and not circumvented or perverted by House members or the judiciary or um, whoever gets into the executive office is is a big question because the Constitution heretofore has been the glue that has uh, kept this great experiment called America together when we've had all sorts of, um, you know, crazy discord um, among people on the left and right. But if that constitution is just a document and an antiquated document to that point among you know many on the left, then it really is relegated to just a piece of paper and an idea by a bunch of racist white guys 250 years ago. And um, that's why the judiciary is so important to the left because what they cannot do legislatively, they oftentimes do through uh, the judiciary at all sorts of levels. And um, if our Congress, 
either Republican or Democrat, fails to legislate, which is really what they've been doing for quite a while. They've just been arguing and grandstanding and making speeches and not really putting forth legislation. Well, as I've said on this show several times, nature abhors a vacuum. And if that vacuum is out there and the legislative body is not legislating, then um, the judiciary heretofore has been very happy, unfortunately, to fill that void and have, and there's the term you get legislating from the bench. Barack Obama um, did many things by executive fiat, and so does Donald Trump for that matter. Although I will say in Trump's defense, he has not been operating, at least up until this point in time, in an extra constitutional um, way when he makes one executive order this week and another next week. Uh, Barack Obama, I cannot say the same. But the point is, if the legislature is doing their job, then it almost forces the other branches of government to do their job, which is certainly not to legislate. But as far as the dissemination of information is concerned uh, with this, uh, you know, the facts and figures of this election, you know, it, it is pretty clear that there is a bias on the left, and we all kind of knew that. So a lot of people, although it is red meat for conservatives to hear Ted Cruz, uh, you know, slap somebody around in the hot seat when they get subpoenaed to go to Washington, but not a lot happens when Zuckerberg and this guy and others go to Washington and get excoriated and get tough questions from conservatives they take it and then they go back to whatever entity and they just continue to do the same thing. Um, legislation, and I'm not a big legislation guy, is definitely an order to clean up um, that industry. Uh, they have had a monopoly for a long period of time. They enjoy um, insulation from being sued um, for um, crowding out voices, uh, violating people's First Amendment rights, defaming people. They have been able to operate with impunity for a very long period of time. So the short answer is these people do this because they can. And um, short of sweeping legislation to rein in their power and regulate them to a degree, they're going to continue to block conservative voices, Christian voices. And, you know, you may say I'm not a political junkie like you, Kurt, so it doesn't really pertain to me. But there is a reason that free speech and religious liberty are inextricably intertwined in our First Amendment. And that and our, our founders knew that um, we were breaking away from a system that uh, required us to um, bow to the king, bow to the king's God. And when we did not want to do that and we wanted to give our uh, the people in the United States of America the ability, um, free of any government intervention, to worship whatever entity we want to, we wanted, that was very important. That was at the, the foundational uh, crux 
of the entire Constitution. So that's why that is so vitally important. And if you don't think it's important, like, hey, I never go on Google and search if Joe Biden is, is corrupt or his kid's computer says this or that. So I, I really don't care if that story is suppressed. Well, you know, it, it starts there, but it it's not, it, it is but a hop, skip and a jump. And it's happening in, in pulpit, or excuse me, in congregations all over the United States. But there will be plants in your church, if there are not now, that will be regulating what degree of quote unquote hate speech your pastor is spewing. Uh, and they uh, are not really buying the fact that he has religious freedom and religious liberty to to do that. Um, that is where the state and the church will butt heads and uh, if we have the individuals that may very well be elected next week in charge, um, expect that to ramp up and expect your pastor to be really scrutinized for the things that they say. And um, which leads me to an article here. You know, it, it all we it, it, we are long past the days, ladies and gentlemen, where faith based voters or Christians can say, well, you know, I'm just going to leave it up to God and I'll just vote for whomever and just do my business. Um, this is a fight, ladies and gentlemen, and whatever the Lord has led you to do in this fight, you better do it. Um, and the foundational principles of the word of God are something that we should not only live by, but we should export to who is as many people as we can being ambassadors of Christ. And the more Jesus we get out there, the more this world will calm down and the more disregard we have of things of faith, God, Jesus Christ, the church, um, you will continue to see this chaos that you're, that is unfolding right before your eyes. This next article was very interesting to me. Somebody sent it to me and um, I thought it was interesting. I take issue with a, with a couple of the statistics, but in general, I, I agree with the premise of um, the gentleman that wrote this, a Dr. Jeff Myers. It says, biblical worldview giving way to socialism among young evangelicals. And as I have stated on this show countless times, um, and as Marx and Lenin and all the greats of uh, statism have stated in their own words, uh, through the decades, um, Christianity and communism or socialism or totalitarianism are thoroughly incompatible. They are at their core. They, the, the home of atheism is indeed Marxism. And that simple truth out of the words of Marxists themselves is something that seems to be missed among young evangelicals and I and I you know I blame our educational system but also I think it is incumbent upon our pastors and our teachers within the church to educate and so this article says the head of a ministry that helps christian young people strengthen their biblical worldview is looking past the 2020 elections to the future and in his estimation it's pretty bleak so I would think that that future is going to be quite a bit more bleak if people that are 
uh, of Marxist thought, even though they may or may not say that they are. Some unabashedly say they are, but others are a little softer with it, a little quieter with it. But if they come into power next week, I would say, at least in the short term, um, the future of the United States and the world in general is is um, is not looking good for that period of time anyway. This says evangelicals are so focused on winning this election, they don't realize that the data shows they have already lost all elections after this one. That's the warning issued by Dr. Jeff Myers, president of Summit Ministries. Polls show that a permanent anti-religious socialist majority through the vehicle of the Democratic Party is emerging in the United States, a majority that will be dominant by 2024. I take issue with that, although that could be true. And locked in place by 2030, um, this gentleman says. Uh, again, I, I hope he's not right. He could very well be right. But um, I, I, I tend to have a little bit more hope than that. Um, church-going Christians aren't fighting this leftward current. They're swimming with it, the author says. Myers tells One News Now that evangelical youth are buying into socialism and Marxism without realizing what it is doing to their faith. They are a generation that is fairly low in their risk-taking ability, he explains. And when someone says the government will take care of you, just like mom and dad took care of you, that's a pretty compelling message. Now, right there, that's a mouthful. And, um, you know, I have these discussions with parents all the time. And, um, you know, we discuss some of these young people. The, the term is failure to launch. Um, their parents have been not only helicopter parents, but snowplow parents for a number of years. And their children have not been allowed to fail, uh, allowed to work hard or urged to work hard and be compensated commensurate with the work you put forth. We uh, have raised a, a number of entitled individuals in this country. And this article asserts that there's enough of those individuals out there, and I hope this guy is wrong, but there's enough of these individuals out there that when the allure of um, socialism Marxism, hey, the government will take care of it. We will redistribute what the privileged guy that's working hard over here has and give it to you who chooses not to work very hard and live in your mom's basement. And she rings a little bell when your grilled cheese sandwich is ready. And, and well, it's all good because you're only 29. So, it, you know, the article contends that if we have enough of those individuals, and there's a lot of them out there, are are posed with, do you want to work hard? Do you want to achieve? Do you want to realize the American dream? Uh, is capitalism something that's good? Or would you rather just kind of coast, smoke dope with your friends, and um, government will take care of you? The author of this article asserts that there are too many people in the latter category that will certainly find the lure of um, socialism that Bernie Sanders and AOC and several others are peddling. They will find that uh, very attractive. And if the home of that 
is indeed the Democrat Party, then this article asserts by 2024, it's basically um, individuals such as that will be in the majority. And by 2030, he basically says it's all over. I really hope he's wrong, but it's certainly something to think about and whatever part we play in educating young people that this is a trap would would be something that we should all take very seriously. Um, it goes on to say, the ministry leader says his research finds that 69% of evangelical youth who attend church don't believe in absolute truth and think that if your beliefs offend somebody, you're the one who's doing something wrong. Now, again, I, I, I don't know if 69% is accurate, but I do know one thing. Satan is very crafty, and the agents of Satan are very crafty. And it is thoroughly um, plausible, as Satan always does, takes a little scripture and mixes it in with his lies, contorts it, and presents it to um, unsuspecting individuals. I wouldn't be surprised, and we chronicle the Christian left, social justice left all the time on this show, that people are saying that when you stand up for right and somebody's feelings happen to be bruised when you're standing up for right, then that's sinful and you're wrong. And I would not believe or not, not underestimate the power of pretty decent young individuals knowing in their heart that something's true, but just kind of keeping it under their hat and letting louder people, you know, flesh it all out in the village square, which is very dangerous because um, if you are encouraged to shut up because you might offend somebody, um, that's dangerous, particularly if you have the truth on your side. And if you are indeed an evangelical, which this guy says 70% of them feel this way, you have an obligation as an ambassador for Christ in whatever way uh, Jesus leads you to do it to forward that truth. Now, am I a big believer that many of the folks that are ambassadors for Christ or people that we rely on to sell conservatism or capitalism or Christianity to a greater extent are, are absolutely terrible at it. Yeah, I'll see that point. And, and they don't know how to meet people where they are and they don't know how to speak in a loving way. And if their criticisms are based in a, in a pharisaical foundation without the love of Christ first and foremost, then I think they're doing more harm than good. But to just, as this author indicates, to just opt out and just say, hey, man, I don't want to offend anybody is very dangerous. Um, even though they say that they believe in God, the worldview they embrace is materialism. Only the material world exists. There is no God. There is no Jesus. There is no Holy Spirit, no heaven, no hell. That's the worldview that Karl Marx embraced he laments. Myers says most parents, Christian teachers, and youth pastors try to use logic to guide the youngsters into proper alignment with biblical truth. But he says while today's youth will eventually listen to a good argument, they need to get it um, get to a biblical worldview by a different route. They need a dialogue, he says. 
And this is where I could not agree with the author more. Um, as we get down to the election day, uh, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm feeling a lot of ups and downs and highs and lows. People are sending me crazy things. Crazy things are happening. And we're all very hyped up and nobody is really receptive to sit down and listen at this stage of the game. And that's unfortunate. All the foundation or all the cajoling to vote for one person or another should have been happening, you know, in the last six months to a year, build relationships, um, identify five people in the last year that you want to lead to Christ and um, after that, if you would like to uh, convince them of a conservative mindset or worldview, then then embark on that. But yelling at people uh, on Twitter or getting in arguments with people four days before an election, you're not going to sway a lot of people. So the author says dialogue is the key. And he says they need someone to walk alongside of them. He continues, most people imagine when you're talking about ideas that you're butting heads. With this generation, what works a lot better is two people walking alongside one another to find the truth. Could not agree more. And I know some really, really smart, bona fide, born again, young people that um, God has put on this planet to change the world. And he is he is speaking to that or about them. They look at um, talking about ideas as butting heads, and we have raised an entire generation that is uh, conflict averse. And when conflict happens, they tend to um, hide under the bed. Well, if that happens then that just emboldens um, a bunch of uh, loudmouths, bullies, to um, shut down free speech, which we see on college campuses, we're seeing um, by big tech um, on the internet. And um, if good people, uh, as Edmund Burke says, just kind of hide under the bed and let these bullies and these loudmouths forward a, a worldview that is just not a Christian worldview, Again, nature abhors a vacuum. And if it is said long enough and loud enough, then that worldview, as as perverted and skewed as it is, will win. Um, and if these young millennials feel that any type of a discussion about ideas is butting heads and they don't want to offend and they don't want to get their blood pressure up or that's not my cup of tea, which is what you hear routinely among young people, then we got a problem. And the author here says probably the better way to convince those kids is to slowly but surely walk alongside them, develop a dialogue over the course of time, which I think is the better way to go. Um, as does employing biblical world uh, view curricula to educate and then train them, he explains. One of the biggest excuses I hear regarding such training is that those raised in the church will automatically end up being pro-life, pro-family, pro-liberty voters. That is not true, he writes. Only 19% of church-going born-again Christians have a biblical worldview. Uh, again, I like much of what this guy is saying. I do not agree that only 19% of uh 
church-going, born-again Christians have a biblical worldview. If that is accurate, we are in a whole lot of trouble. Um, but I do think it's probably a lot lower than it should be. Uh, the article concludes saying, and churches also need to get serious about biblical worldview as well. Um, that can be accomplished, he says, if pastors feel supported and are encouraged in addressing cultural issues from the pulpit. Nine in ten pastors believe the Bible speaks to today's issues. Makes you kind of wonder about that one out of ten, right? According to Myers, but only one in ten ever brings it up. And that's um, the uh, age-old yin and yang that I have discussed for years. I've debated on Fox with uh, people about uh, Pulpit Freedom Sunday. And again, the if you are going to enjoy tax-exempt status, I think specifically endorsing candidates behind the pulpit is a no-no. Until that law changes or until you choose not to, to be tax-exempt, I think you have to abide by those rules. However, there are ways that a pastor can talk about the issues of the day from behind the pulpit and not endorse one party or another, not endorse a specific candidate, and clearly get his point across to whomever cares to listen. And if they feel offended by that, well, too bad. Um, I have and I will always say that bombastic, non-finessed pastors that pound on the pulpit and advocate for you to vote for one candidate or another, not only are they uh, risking their tax-exempt status, but you're just not convincing anybody. You're preaching to the choir. You are not convincing anybody. Um, The situation has to be nuanced, and there is an intersection of politics and religion. Um, Jesus, people wanted to kill him, um, obviously for claiming that he was equal to God, but also because he stood up in the village square and he called out people and he said, wrong is wrong and right is right. And they didn't like that. And that's what politics is. When you get up and you state a certain opinion and you're vying to be part of this hierarchy that governs over us or represents us, if you will, probably more appropriately, um, that's politics. And even though Jesus Christ was in no way, shape, manner, or form a politician, he certainly uh, got up in the village square and called it like he saw it, and people did not like that. We ambassadors of Christ, uh, at the least, should do the same thing at the soccer game, at the water cooler, inviting friends over for dinner, at the gym, uh, wherever. And, and we have to do that. And our pastors have to do that. And I agree, you know, only one in 10 pastors ever bring up the um, social issues of the day. I think that's really sad um, because he, the their charge as a pastor is to educate their flock. And if they're not even bringing up the issues of the day, they're not educating their flock. So some sobering uh, thoughts by... Um, Dr. Jeff Myers here, and um, it's something that we have to be aware of because these kids, I call them kids because I'm in my 50s, but these kids in their uh, late teens and 20s, they will be ruling the world soon enough. On to a little 
good news, I guess, if you are a um, Republican uh, or you are a Trump fan and you um, are not dissuaded by these crazy polls that say Joe Biden's up by 17, Joe Biden's up by 16. Um, I think even people that really don't pay attention know that Joe Biden is not up by 17 percentage points anywhere. He's not even up by 17 percentage points. If you want to look at reality in New York or California or Illinois. So these polls that are designed to discourage you are just not be to not to be believed. We're not going to talk too much about polls today, but this article is by a uh, former speaker, uh, Newt Gingrich. He expects Trump a landslide and said the left will be terribly um, shocked on election day. And this says former House Speaker Newt Gingrich refused to shy away from predicting a major electoral victory for President Trump next week. Uh, that's where I differ very greatly from Speaker Gingrich. Um, if I share those views, I'm certainly not going to broadcast them out. Um, but he is boldly, <laughs> he I, I've been wrong too many times, he is boldly predicting that the left is going to be terribly shocked on election day. During an interview with Fox News host Sean Hannity on Wednesday evening, Gingrich said Trump was in a better position in the presidential race this year than four years ago with a little less than a week to go. He has better likelihood than he did at this stage in 2016 when he was clearly behind and closing rapidly. Let me just stop there. This whole closing rapidly crap, um, I don't get it. There are 5% of the people out there that don't know what they're going to do. And I think we should continue to try to identify them and, um, and talk to them in a loving, uh, productive way. But this whole closing the gap thing, as if we had a huge swath of people and as if these polls were accurate, yeah, Trump was down by 15 and this whole huge swath of people watched a couple of uh, Biden videos and a couple Trump rallies, and now the tide is turning. This is, this is all garbage. Um, tide's not turning. This thing has been locked in for a long time. The only thing that have been changing is the media has, um, as they do every single election cycle, and it's these pollsters that are inside the beltway people that don't care about accuracy of their polls. They just care about getting their friends elected and, and being, you know, uh, loved at cocktail parties. They're the ones that are changing a little bit and they're, they're altering their polls to say, you know, okay, he's only down by 11% rather than 16. You know, that, that's not changing. That's change. That's, that's them changing their narrative, but the reality of the situation has not changed. So when I, when I hear Trump is behind, but he's closing rapidly, he's not closing anything. Um, where Donald Trump is going to fall on Tuesday as far as winning or losing is pretty much where he is now and pretty much where he's been for the last four months. And all these polls, as I said, were just uh, in large part to discourage conservatives or Republicans or Trump voters from from coming out. And as we know, when you talk to the average Trump devotee, it does the absolute opposite. It angers them. It makes them want to go out and get more Trump voters. It makes them uh, very excited to go vote. So it actually has the opposite effect. 
But um, Gingrich called an electoral map showing a landslide Trump victory with 326 electoral votes, the first electoral college map that made sense before claiming that the left will be terribly shocked. Gingrich argued Trump's appeal was not ideological based, but the strength he projects on the campaign trail in light of the coronavirus pandemic and constant criticism from major media corporations. That is accurate. Um, Rush Limbaugh has said this, and he's one of the few that has said this. And Donald Trump um, said it early on his, in his career. He is no conservative. He is not an ideologue. People love the personality of Donald Trump. They like the way he's a fighter. Um, if you could take somebody with Donald Trump's personality and make him a underdog or a sympathetic figure, uh, I think that is quite amazing. But the media has uh, figured out a way to do it by their incessant um, nonsense that they have thrown at him for the last five years. And um, I mean, the media has to be pretty bad to make Donald Trump a sympathetic figure, a, a, a billionaire, a bombastic, confident guy, and to, to turn him into a man of the people, a man of the little guy, um, is, is quite remarkable. Um, it, it usually is quite opposite in this, in this culture where we have animus, uh, rich people have animus of poor people and vice versa. You know, Donald Trump's base is, is not your college educated, um, upper middle class voter. It is, it is not, it is the, the great unwashed as they say out there, their term, not mine. Um, he is a, is a, a very big, uh, uh, a popular figure amongst uh, laborers, blue collar workers. Um, all you have to do is traverse the state of Pennsylvania, the people that are voting for this guy. Um, so um, to make him a sympathetic figure, the, the media really has to work overtime on, um, on being so out of line that nobody believes them, and, and they've succeeded. Um, Gingrich goes on to say, I actually think that it comes down to something which is psychological, not ideological. In the end, as you watch these two candidates campaigning, I think it's coming down to sort of a bunny rabbit hiding in a basement protected by the news media and a bear who is wandering around the stage courageously without fear. Gingrich chided Biden's campaign strategy, which he um, has seen the former vice president calling a lid for most of his final campaign stretches um, uh, meetings heading into the election day. I think every day that Biden hides and Trump goes out and campaigns, the psychological message being driven to the American people is really deeper than just ideology or partisanship, Gingrich said. My personal bet is it will lead to a surprising majority for Trump. Now, that is, of course, accurate and plausible if people are paying attention. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, in, in this world of um, covid People are, are very much concerned and uh, have turned their thoughts inward to their little cloister, their family, their friends, what what a government entity will allow them to do and not do. And I, I don't think they're as engaged as they would be normally. So is, is it apparent to you and I that we live in a ludicrous world where a a uh, person that is campaigning to be the president quits around nine o'clock every morning 
and doesn't really do rallies and really doesn't do anything. Um, is that surreal to you or I? Yeah, of course it is. Is the opposite of that a 74-year-old man who just had COVID um, is doing three or four rallies in multiple states every single day? Um, it, it, in a sane world, the juxtaposition of those two combatants is absolutely amazing. And and I would agree with um, with uh, Gingrich that in the end, um, you know, it, it should spell uh, doom for Joe Biden. But, you know, this is a cynical side of me. I'm, I'm not so sure it does. I, I think a lot of people um, turn the television on and they see Joe Biden ads. They see Donald Trump ads. They're not seeing Donald Trump rallies because nobody's covering them other than Fox. And although I saw the other day Tucker Carlson has a whopping 5.3 million in viewers, which is an all-time record. And that that is not to be trifled with because that includes um, the old Hannity and Combs show, Hannity, uh, Bill O'Reilly show that ran for a long time on Fox. He is um, he has surpassed all the numbers of all the conservative uh, pundits out there, which is absolutely breathtaking. And thank God for somebody like Tucker Carlson that just speaks the truth every night. But you know, if if you're not watching Tucker Carlson, you you may not be aware that Joe Biden's calling a rap at ten o'clock in the morning. And so, um, you know, I, I think if if we were talking about yesteryear. Yes, watching a vigorous, positive, um, aggressive leader uh, like Donald Trump that is just has boundless energy is inspiring, and and seeing somebody like Joe Biden who's just kind of you know melting into the couch in his basement is not inspiring. But you know, I, I don't know about the world we live in now. But I, I think a lot of things will be answered next week. They may not be tied in a nice little bow by the end of uh, November 3rd, but I think we're going to go a long way in figuring out um, where this country is. We'll see if uh, Dr. Myers is correct that young evangelicals, I mean, they may vote for Joe Biden. I, I know of a couple that have done that, and although it disappointed the heck out of me, I have to say I wasn't shocked. And um, so, you know, again, uh, we we shall see. This next article says the White House advisor, um, uh, Lawrence uh, Kudlow, has um, touted the, uh, the recent GDP numbers that just came out about third quarter GDP. Um, again, uh, numbers, facts and figures over the radio um, kind of get lost in the shuffle, but the the take home is that the Commerce Department reported third quarter GDP was um, uh, at a 33.1% annual rate on Thursday. Um, the preliminary estimate of the fourth quarter growth is going to be 5 to 10%, but the third quarter growth was massive. Um, this is in the midst of a pandemic. Um, does this resonate with people? Um, they say that people's pocketbooks and checkbooks and, and 401ks and everything are, are really quite critical down the stretch here. The, some of the cultural issues maybe not quite as important to a lot of people, but up until the last week, um, the the Dow almost got back to uh, record highs. It's been slammed 
in recent days, and, and that may unfortunately continue until the election. But by and large, you know, people were opening up their 401k statement and seeing that it had grown during these COVID-19 times, which is no easy feat to pull off. Um, so we shall see, we, you know, that, that is the thing, you know, right now it's, it's a little difficult. We're in the last stages of this thing, but this country will survive whoever is elected next week. And for future, for future elections. And, um, I would just urge you, uh, if, if you want to change people, if you want to get people culturally engaged or to start thinking about the issues of the day from a Christian standpoint, just pick out five people, ask the Lord who they are, what should I be doing to influence them, and then meet them where they are. Um, not everybody's hot buttons are your hot buttons. And as uh, Dr. Myers said in an earlier article, Find out what interests them and have a dialogue with them. Walk with them over the course of months and years rather than to try to just slam them a month before or a week before an election and say, what are you, crazy? You're a Christian. You should be voting for dot, dot, dot. Um, this is a process. People change slowly. They get educated slowly. And they get really turned off when you try to jam a square peg in a round hole. And oftentimes they, they throw out the baby with the bathwater, if you will, and they will reject one dogma or another, or one ideology or another based on the delivery, um, person, uh, as they say, shooting the messenger. Um, and if the messenger happens to be somebody, um, that is offensive and bombastic and insulting, then, that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Um, again, some good news. <clears throat> if you are a Trump supporter, this article here says Florida, um, add Florida to the list of swing states where early voting data favors uh, Trump. And it says Republicans have closed Democrats' early voting lead in Florida by about 300,000 votes since early in-person voting began and only trail in the state by three points five days before election day. Again, I would take issue with that trail by three points. I, um, I have, uh, paid attention to a lot of pollsters that don't have agendas and they say Florida is pretty much in the bag, but you never take anything, uh, for granted. But this was a big misnomer that a lot of folks on the right thought that all of this early voting, um, and, uh, voting by mail was going to, um, categorically across every state help Democrats. And admittedly, it has helped Democrats in some states. But here's an example. They say in Florida, the data actually um, in preliminary voting or mail-in voting, um, at least if you look at party affiliation, seems to be um, seems to be favoring uh, Donald Trump, which is interesting. Um, yeah, I I don't know. In the close of the show here, I, I will just say that um, I am not going to go as far as uh, some of my colleagues in the media that um, if Joe Biden wins Tuesday, it's all over. Um, it, it will be a, a heck of a blow to the United States of America. 
Our Constitution, however, is strong, but as I said earlier, it's only as strong as your respect for it is. Um, Donald Trump uh, appointing the judges that he has appointed um, will ensure um, to a large degree that at least the judiciary is solid. Um, the House of Representatives, um, as we've said on this show before, um, there's about 30 seats out there that um, the Republicans only need to pick up 18. There's about 30 seats out there that swung to the Democrat in 2018, but Trump won quite handily in 2016. So we'll see if the Trump coattails in 2020 will at least flip a number of those 30 seats to the favor of the Republicans. Um, the Republicans winning the House is going to be a tall order, but it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility if the phenomenon of Donald Trump and his long coattails um, are in play. So quite conceivably, a fair amount of those 30 new Democrats um, many of which that uh, most of which uh, voted for Donald Trump's impeachment, um, they may very well be one-term uh, Congress people. So that's where that lies. The Senate right now, we have, um, I, I shouldn't say we, I am not a Republican, but the Republicans have a, uh, a uh, 40 or 53 to 47 percent um, or plurality. It's actually 53 to 45, but two of the, uh, Independence Caucus with the Democrats, but um, that is in jeopardy as well. A much better chance for the Republicans to retain uh, a plurality in the Senate than to take the House, but there's no less than six or seven really close races there that if they break uh, predominantly Republican, then the Republicans will hold the Senate, which is very critical uh, regardless of who becomes the president of the United States, Joe Biden or um, uh, Donald Trump. Uh, many of these branches of the government are firewalls to uh, protect um, abuses of power by other branches of the government. And um, God help us, and I know he will, if Joe Biden becomes president, the Senate goes Democrat and the House retains a Democrat plurality with Nancy Pelosi as the speaker, um, that's going to be um, a scary proposition. But again, nothing that God cannot overcome. So it's a question of his love for this great land of ours, and I, I firmly believe he loves the United States, um, and I firmly believe that he is in control whatever happens on Tuesday. So we, um, at this point of the, the game, I think uh, prayer is in order. Uh, pray early, pray often, and pray for people that you might not agree with, and pray for people to get out and vote in a manner that um, is consistent with the Word of God. And we hope for the best. This is Kurt Flewelling, Reshaping America. Have a great day.